You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 6 this morning. Galatians chapter 6. While you're turning there, I want to uh, point out a couple of things that we don't mention a whole lot. Uh, in the foyer out here is a connection wall, and there are a number of uh, connection information cards that look like this uh, about our various areas of ministry. would really encourage you to uh, check those out, uh, and I especially want to point out one that looks like this. Uh, on one side, it has kind of a listing of different serving opportunities, and so if you are a part of the First Baptist family and kind of looking for your place to plug in, how you might serve... Uh, that's a good place to start. It'll take you to some links so that you can get more information about that. And on the other side uh, is a listing of our staff members and our contact information. So if you have any complaints, I especially want to point out the name Jace Williamson. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, this is a great way to uh, connect and uh, let us get connected with you, answer any questions you might have. Also in the foyer is a lending library. Uh, there are some books and, uh, and resources out there that you can borrow uh, in hopes that you will return them. There are also a number of resources that are free for the taking. Uh, and if you see uh, uh, multiple copies of one book, like Gentle and Lowly, one of the best books written in the last two or three years, uh, that is yours for the taking. And so would encourage you to grab one of those on your way out today. Another one uh, that falls in that category is Praying the Bible. Uh, great, great resources and I would encourage you to take advantage of those things. I also want to echo uh, what Jay said earlier in saying how grateful we are for uh, your willingness to serve. And we had a couple of opportunities to see that in action uh, this past week with the packing of uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes. Uh, you may not realize that it takes about 10 bucks to ship each one of these boxes. So do the math real quickly. you got got 100 boxes up here. Uh, that's, that's a pretty good chunk of change. And so right now, we are uh, taking cash donations. You can also designate an offering to that. Uh, there's a box on the way out where you can just drop a $10 bill in there and cover the cost of shipping one of these boxes uh, around the world. And so uh, that would be really helpful. I also want to say thank you to everybody who served last night. If you brought candy, all those things. By our best estimates, we gave away over 25,000 pieces of candy. So if you serve in the dental industry, you should write us a thank you note. Um, <laughs> no. And when everything got started, we were setting up. There was a pretty steady drizzle coming down, and we thought, we're going to have a lot of leftover candy. Uh, in fact, we contemplated using Hershey Kisses for the Lord's Supper next week, but um, <laughs> we, we would never do that. But um, we really, thank you. Uh, you're bringing in those bags of candy. It's super, super helpful. And we really did not have a whole lot left over, just uh, about a half a, a container uh, of candy. So thank you to everyone who participated in a lot of different ways and stayed uh, late last night to help with the cleanup and, and all of that. Well, Galatians chapter 6, we're moving into the final chapter in uh, the book of Galatians today. This is week 10 uh, in our current sermon series through the book of Galatians. This is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the churches of Galatia. His main concern is that the Galatian believers would abandon uh, the teaching of the Judaizers who were proclaiming a false gospel of Jesus plus legalism. And I remind you that Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. Uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we could break down the book of Galatians into three sections, really. You could take uh, chapters 1 and 2, uh, and that is personal in nature. 
chapters 3 and 4 are more doctrinal in nature, and then chapters 5 and 6 here, where we find ourselves now, uh, more practical in nature. And so in those first two sections that cover chapters 1 through 4, Paul describes his personal relationship with the law. He was a, a Pharisee and had quite an impressive spiritual resume, right? He outlines proper doctrine on grace versus law and so forth, but it seems that he wants to end this letter by bringing things back into the practical level so that his readers wouldn't think that the gospel of grace, which he was clearly proclaiming, was going to lead to some kind of lewd, loose living, free of accountability. Just do whatever you want. You don't want them to think that. Instead, it would promote true spirituality. Not an unnecessary burden or an entanglement with rules and regulations. So many people view uh, Christianity, view the Bible as just this massive book of do's and don'ts. A bunch of rules and regulations. And I'm not into that, people will say. And so uh, don't don't give me your religion. Uh, And so I, I think John Bunyan, who was the persecuted English author of a classic called The Pilgrim's Progress, he beautifully summed up the difference between uh, a works-based type salvation and a biblical gospel of, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. He said this, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. Uh, and so bear that in mind. Now I want to share something with you that is uh, deeply profound this morning, deeply theological. The last few verses of chapter 5 come just before chapter 6. I have a theology degree. That's how I know that, right? Okay, so uh, it's profound, right? No, what I mean is this. What Paul describes here in chapter 6 follows a great section of teaching on life in the Spirit in chapter 5. So what is chapter 6 about? Uh, It is about how life in the Spirit should lead believers to live out their faith in biblical community. So chapter 5 says, walk in step with the Spirit, be in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, all those things. And now chapter 6, let me tell you how to actually live that out in a practical way within uh, your churches. Remember, this is a letter written to the churches of Galatia. And so he naturally cares about how they are doing life together. That's what he is getting at. And so our text today speaks of the responsibilities of spirit-filled believers, the the responsibilities we have toward one another in the body of Christ. He talks about how the community of faith, the local church, operates when the spirit is leading. And so like the call to personal godliness, God's command to uh, share in Christian community is a gift, not a burden. Christians have been adopted by God, and that means that they have been given a a, a place in a new family. That's part of the the teaching of the book of Galatians. Jace preached on that subject of adoption. We are the household of God, and so we now have the privilege of being able to care for each other and experience uh, one another's care. Uh, And so we grow and mature through being in relationships that last beyond just common interests common stages of life and those kind of things that naturally connect us. Uh, we're talking about relationships that cannot be easily cast off. Uh, it's, it's in those relationships, it's in the fertile soil of relationship and community that many times our sin is exposed and we are refined. 
So we often say it like this. Our mission as a church is to lead people on a life-transforming journey to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. So think of all of us, if you're a part of the FBCVA family particularly, we're all on a journey. Like we're on a big hike, okay? And our destination is to be like Jesus. That's ultimately what it's all about, to grow in our relationship with him and become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, there was a time uh, many years ago that I led leadership expeditions in the Allegheny National Forest. And so it was uh, mainly young men, and we would like, go off the grid for several days and, and camp out, and we would dig into God's word. And, but, but when you're on those kind of hikes and you're with a group of any size, you're constantly counting, it seems like. Like you're making sure that you know, everybody's where they're supposed to be, right? And if anybody kind of wanders off the trail or whatever, you've got to go, hey, what, do, what are you doing? Like this is not good. Well, that's kind of how it is with the body of Christ. We're all on this journey toward Christ-likeness. And sometimes you look around and you're like, where's, where's so-and-so? I, I think they took a little detour back there. Oh, no. I, I've tried that detour, and it doesn't work. It, it doesn't lead to good things. I need to go back and, and help them get back on the path. That, that's, that's largely what we're talking about here uh, in this section of Galatians chapter 6. We grow and mature through uh, those relationships. And so the local church, even with all of its messiness, no church is perfect, including this one, with all of its messiness, is an expression of God's grace. It's an expression of God's grace. When believers choose not to be connected to a church community, they are rejecting God's good gift to them. Now I realize that, that that's counterculture today. Okay, today says you just do you, you can live out your faith as an individual, very individualistic sort of way, you just kind of mind your own business, and one of the things that uh, in your day-to-day life that you certainly don't talk about apart from uh, politics is religion, right? Your faith is personal and private, and while our faith is personal in the sense that uh, it's only by personally trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation, it is, we're never told in Scripture that our, that our relationship with him is to be private. That would be as absurd as me saying, I'm married to my wife, Christy, but I don't want anybody to know about it. So we're to live out our faith, and we're to do it in community. In Christian community. That's why uh, when, when, when we talk about discipleship here, we're, we're never going to just say to you, here's some resources. And there's a lot of great resources out there. But we're not just going to hand you some resources and say, hey, you know, use these resources and you'll become more like Jesus. Uh, we, we don't want to just be content creators and so you come and just consume content. You know, our desire is for all of us to, to live this Christian life in community. And so that is really what Paul is getting at here in Galatians chapter 6. So let's look at it together, the first 10 verses of this final chapter of Galatians. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then let his reason to boast will then, then, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Paul, here in chapter 6, he begins a, uh, a new paragraph, and he addresses the complexities and the challenges and the beauty of gospel restoration. This is one of my favorite biblical words, biblical concepts, that of restoration. Uh, if you understand clearly the biblical gospel, then you know it is about lives being transformed, being restored, brought back into a right relationship with God. So the word restoration is, is such a theologically rich word, pregnant with meaning and gospel significance. Now, who doesn't like to admire a classic car that has been restored, right? I'm not especially a car guy, but I can appreciate when someone goes to the, the trouble and the effort and the expense and pays attention to the detail of restoring a classic car. Or how about a, a piece of furniture that's been restored? Or how about a, a historic home that has been restored? Uh, I have a friend in East Texas whose uh, hobby for many years was classic Corvettes. Always uh, owned one or two of them at least. And um, I, I just always admired all of the, the, the detail and, 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 and all that went into seeing one of those cars restored. One day I was in his office and we were having a cup of coffee together. And he, he pointed to a sticker that he had bought online. He was so proud of this sticker. And I thought, well, i got to see this thing. So he shows it to me and I'm like, this just looks like some instructions on how to change a flat tire. That's what it was. It was the sticker that goes on the inside of the trunk of this classic Corvette that he was restoring. You see, to him, something as detailed as that, that set of instructions that would be found on the inside of the trunk that showed you how to use the jack and change a flat tire on that car was important to its restoration. I thought, Man, that's mind-boggling. He would tell me of the expense that was sometimes involved in ordering a particular part for a, a car that was manufactured in the mid-60s, for example. And I mean, a lot of expense involved. The process of restoration, it's often costly. It requires a great deal of effort and attention to detail. It requires a great deal of patience and persistence. It's painstaking. But to see that car fully restored or to see that home fully restored or that piece of furniture, it is so worth it. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here as he talks about restoration within the body of Christ. So let's look first of all this morning at gentle restoration. Gentle restoration. And I want us to, to first consider the place of restoration. The place of restoration is the family. I, I want you to notice Paul uses this family language here. He says brothers, if someone is caught in any transgression. Notice the, the family language. Paul begins by, with that word brothers, sisters. The church is a family. You need a family to care for you spiritually. The church, according to verse 10 here, is a household. It's a household of brothers and sisters who call God Abba, Father, as we learned in chapter 4, verse number 6. So I wonder this morning, do, do you love your church family? 
And I realize you may be someone right now who's kind of like searching for a church family, a place to land, a place to belong, a a place to grow, a place to serve, a place to be challenged and encouraged and and all those things. That's so important, that that journey, that decision, critically important. Do you love your church family? If so, then care for them spiritually. I mean, I, I love my kids. I love my three adult kids. I love my daughter, who's 12 now, still lives at home with us, obviously. And, and there are times, because I don't uh, want to see them destroy their lives, and I don't want to see them make foolish decisions, I want to protect them, and so you have to correct them. And hopefully, if we're doing it biblically, we do it in love. Sometimes you've got to share the truth, and you've got to do it in a very clear way. But you do it in love, with the motivation being love. And so that's the idea here, this care for each other by speaking the truth sometimes in love. One of the things that God does through the gospel is form a people. He's molding and shaping us. We see that imagery, that picture throughout Scripture. We're referred to as a lump of clay in the potter's hands, for example, molding and shaping and forming us into who he wants to be. And God's using all sorts of things in order to do that. So to be a part of the family of God is a gift of the grace of God. Recognize the glory of it. And can I just say to you today, invest your life in it. One of the things that concerns me in today's culture particularly is the number of people with whom I have a conversation. I'll ask them very simply, do you have a church home that you attend regularly? Church home, a church family that you're a part of. And and many times, especially in our area, you will hear people say things like, no, I don't really want to go to a local church because I don't want to be involved in people's lives. And they'll go on to describe how they would rather drive south somewhere to a much larger church where they can slip into a worship service, slip out of that worship service, be mostly unknown to anybody there, and check a box. That is not the way that God intends for us to do life within the church. God intends for us to do life in community, and the place for restoration is the family, the local church, in relationship. And I hope and pray that you have some pretty close friends. I'm talking about the kind of friends who can look you in the eye with love and say, what in the world are you thinking right now? What are you doing? This is nuts. This is a bad choice, man. Come on, let's talk about this. And you do it in love. That's what it's all about. Let's talk about the need for restoration. The the church is not to be uh, just a charitable organization or some sort of social club. Those types of groups, I, I have no doubt, do some good work. But by its nature, the church is something different. The church is not an organization. The church is an organism. It's a living organism. We are brothers and sisters adopted into God's family, knit together by the Holy Spirit in a common fellowship. And so we should seek the spiritual welfare of one another. And this is done in different ways and in different seasons and to to different degrees. And I know you could could throw in the whole matter of church discipline here and and, and all that. I, I want you to see the need for restoration. I know there have been times in my life when I've needed restoration. I've needed restoration. Let's talk about the nature of restoration. John Stott notes that the word restore that's used here means to put back in order or to repair. It was the same word used for setting a fractured bone. 
Uh, we are to put the broken ones back together like, to, like a doctor would do. It was the same word used for mending fishing nets uh, in Mark's gospel chapter 1. And so in the same way, the goal is to put the broken ones back together, release them for service. Remember when Jesus gave the steps for church discipline in Matthew chapter 18, the goal of the process was positive and constructive. The, the end goal would be restoration as it is here. Now here's an important note. I want to tap the brakes for a second on this because I don't want us to take this as a command to be the righteousness police. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. Where we go about inspecting every detail of every person's life. I don't think that's what Paul has in mind. I think the matters that are highlighted here seem to be destructive sins. Patterns of destructive behavior. These are not mere conscience issues where we get all worked up over second and third tier issues over which we might disagree. That's not what this is. Be a person who cares for your brothers and sisters, not one who is trying to be everyone's conscience. Ultimately, only Jesus can forgive and restore. Only Jesus. He puts back together our old broken down jalopy of a life, right? And that, so our job then is to point others to Jesus. We cannot do this by ignoring sin or remaining silent. And I remind you that when the woman caught in adultery was brought to Jesus, the people wanted to do what? They wanted to stone her. But Jesus was not interested in destroying the woman. He was interested in restoring the woman. Be concerned for your broken brother and sister and, like Jesus, lead them to restoration. And then I want you to notice that he talks about the character of the restorer. And Paul uses three descriptive words here to describe the character of the one who would uh, commit themselves to this ministry of restoration. Spiritual, gentle, and careful. Paul, Paul doesn't give us specific steps for restoration here. Do this, do this, do this, do these three steps and, and your brother or sister in Christ will be fully restored. That's, that's not what he's doing. He does talk about the character and the heart attitudes that should be evident in the process of restoration. Now, our, our culture loves to quote Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1, right? Do not judge so that you won't be judged. But isn't it amazing how oblivious they are to Matthew chapter 7, verse number 5, where it says, for take the log out of your own eye. Why? Why would that be necessary? Why would that be important? So then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't be concerned for the spiritual welfare of our brother or sister in Christ, as the culture often wants to insist. He is urging us to see to our own hearts first and most importantly and then act. He is ruling out pride. It's much like when you're riding on a commercial jetliner. And they go through that whole spiel that, that you pay little attention to because you're sending those last-minute messages and all that stuff. What is one of the things that they say about when the, the oxygen masks drop down out of the... Especially if you have kids. What do they tell you? Put the mask on yourself first and then help someone, right? So think of it like this. If I, if I was going in to the hospital this next week for a serious uh, procedure, a, a heart surgery, let's say. And before my procedure, the surgeon came into my room to, you know, kind of go over last-minute details. And the surgeon said, you know, I just want to share with you that I've been having some real problems with my eyesight lately. Like, things are really blurry, and, and sometimes I'm seeing double and everything, and, but, but no big deal. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a second. <laughs> I, I don't think I want you to be the one who's operating on me. If you're, if you're not seeing clearly to do this procedure, 
If, if you're not in a place physically where you can do this in a, in a way that, 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 that's going to be for my benefit, then let's get somebody else. Okay, so understand here, he's talking to those who are walking in the Spirit. Now, that's not to say you've got to be perfect. Because we are all quick to say, well, nobody's perfect, right? That's not what he's saying. But what is your motivation? What is your heart attitude? Is it for restoration genuinely? Those who are spiritual, do it gently. Do it carefully. And so I also want you to notice that Paul does not speak to those who are receiving or in need of restoration. But just know that sometimes they may not want or see the need for restoration. That's why the process is many times very painstaking and costly and challenging. And it will require a lot of us. Many times, individuals, and we can be the same way, can think that we're independent and we don't need uh, restoration or we don't need repentance. But the truth is, we are interdependent. We are a body. The whole body of Christ is affected by one another's sin. Your sin always affects others. My sin always affects others. And if you are the one who is being led astray into something destructive, receive help. Receive help. It's not only for your good, but for the good of the whole body. And so gentle restoration. I want you to notice secondly here this morning that Paul talks about humble burden bearing. If we're talking about living out life in the spirit within the body of Christ, there's gentle restoration and humble burden bearing. What he's really saying here in today's terminology, don't let your brother or sister get crushed. Don't let them get crushed. Be alert and willing to ease his or her burden. This is a totally selfless act. This is why we need the Holy Spirit's fruit-bearing work in our lives. Because in our flesh, very naturally, we are most concerned, often consumed with ourselves. That comes naturally to most of us. But the Spirit working within us produces love. a, A sacrificing love. And that involves caring about our burdened brother or sister. It is a daily mission. To be alert to the burdens of others around you and be committed to making their burdens lighter. And in addition to the need for the Spirit's work in our lives, what do we need to know in order to do this? Uh, Tony Morita, uh, pastor of Imago Dei uh, Church in, in Carolina, he makes six observations uh, on this ministry of burden bearing that I, I found really helpful. So I want us to consider those today. Burdens are a reality in a fallen world. Burdens are a reality in a fallen world. So Paul assumes here that the Galatians will have burdens. They are unavoidable. Uh, They they may come in the form of of mental illness or physical illness or financial crisis or addiction or family crisis. They they look like in a lot of different ways, wide variety of these things. But one thing is for sure, no one will escape feeling the weight of such problems. There's not a person in this room who could truthfully say, I've never experienced any kind of a burden in my life. Man, it's just always been amazing. We, we all have things that, that we deal with and, and concerns and cares. And it may be a family relationship. It may be a financial issue. There can be any number of things. But what, what does that look like? In fact, Jesus himself told us, in this world, you will have tribulation. You, you will have suffering in this world. And so with that, we are not self-sufficient. 
as much as we might like to think we are, as much as human nature says, I got this. And I'm going to tell you, the people who are the most reluctant to receive help are people who are naturally caregivers. Naturally caregivers. It's something that plagues those of us who are in ministry because much of what we do is about meeting people at their point of need. And when it comes time for me to say, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in need of of someone to come and sit alongside me and just cry with me. It's hard. It's hard. We're so wired in today's culture, especially in the ministry culture of our day, that we're supposed to be the Messiah of the moment. We're supposed to always know exactly what to say, exactly what to do, exactly how to respond. And I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of times we don't. We don't. That's why we need each other. We are not self-sufficient. Paul not only assumes that we'll have burdens, but that we cannot carry all of our own burdens. That we'll need help with them. And certainly we must understand that we must first cast our burdens on the Lord. Knowing that he will sustain us. Psalm chapter 55. And yes, Jesus bore our ultimate burden when he died in our place. But we are also instructed to share our trials and our struggles with other believers. Sometimes the answer to our Psalm 55 prayer is found in the help of other believers. We are not self-sufficient. Burden bearing is a command to all believers. The ministry of burden bearing is not just a suggestion. Or it's not optional, reserved only for those who are especially gifted in burden bearing. It's not reserved for pastors or church leaders. To be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ, operating under the control of the Spirit, we must help others carry their burdens. That's what it means to be the church. To be the church. Notice this, burden bearing is how we fulfill the law of Christ. John Stott writes it this way, the law of Christ is to love one another as he loves us. That was the new commandment which he gave. Jesus said, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. And then Stott goes on to point out how impressive it is that the three phrases found there, love our neighbor, bear one another's burdens, and fulfilling the law are three equivalent expressions. We should not be overwhelmed by this command. We should delight in it and realize that we have power to fulfill it through the Spirit's ministry in our lives. I want you to notice also that pride hinders burden bearing. When you give attention to verses 3 and and 4, Paul adds some really interesting thoughts by saying here, For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What a verse. Right? Some people think that there's something. Uh, again, I often quote my dad because some of the things that he would often say to me in my growing up years still ring in my mind. But when I was especially full of myself, as he would sometimes remind me, he would also say, Boy, you really think you're something, don't you? And so Paul is saying here if you think you are above stooping down to help your brother, you are deceived. Pride often hinders brotherly love. You probably heard the story of Muhammad Ali, right? Who allegedly was on board a plane one time, and the flight attendant told him to prepare for takeoff by buckling his seatbelt. And he shot back. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which she responded, yeah, well, Superman also doesn't need an airplane. Now buckle up. (laughs) 
do not think of yourself as some sort of a spiritual superman. In verse 4, you look at verse 4 and you might think, well, is that a contradiction of verse 3? It's not. Paul basically says here, don't compare yourself to your neighbor is what he's saying. Instead, examine your own life in the light of God's evaluation. And when you do, you will not be so prideful. Paul says, stop feeding your pride by comparing yourself to others. Instead, measure your life by the character of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, when you look into the mirror of God's word and you look at your life in the light of Jesus Christ, it will humble you in a hurry. And then I want you to notice that Paul distinguishes between heavy burdens and loads. There's a difference here. And we can see how someone might think that verse 5 contradicts verse 2. Paul says, carry one another's burdens after all in verse 2. And then you read down to verse number 5 and he says, for each person will have to carry his own load. So which is it? This is where the Greek helps. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know enough to know that there are two different words here actually used for burden. In, in one case, in verse number 2, baros is the word, and it means a weight or heavy load. He uses a different term in verse number 5, referring to a, a person's individual pack. Think a backpack. So that's why the latter is translated load in, in like the CSB, for example, and here in the ESV. The meaning is clear. Some things in life are so heavy that we cannot bear them alone. When I was much younger, I always thought of myself as pretty strong. I mean, I often say it this way. I'm not built like a, a thoroughbred. I'm built like a Clydesdale, right? Give me a load to carry. I, I can do that. But there are just some loads. They're too heavy for me. <laughs> I, they just are. The strongest individuals can't carry every, every, every load. You just can't. And so I think Paul is making this distinction here. There, there are times in life that a load is so heavy that we can't bear it alone. We need help. And other matters in life are the equivalent of what you might carry, I might carry in a backpack. Everything in your life is not a crisis. You don't have to call 911 or the National Guard. You don't have to convene a meeting. You need to carry your own backpack. They have a saying in South Texas, you make the taco, you eat it. You maybe heard it another way. You, 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 you make the bed, you sleep in it, right? Sometimes the load that a person is carrying is really the consequences of their foolish behavior and sinful choices. That is fundamentally not a burden that someone can carry for you. They can come alongside you and, 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 and love you through that. And, but, but sometimes that's a burden, that's a, that's a load we gotta, we got to bear ourselves. And so Paul makes that distinction here. Do not treat loads as burdens or burdens as loads. Then as we move into verse number six, I want you to notice number three, generous sharing. Paul seems to shift gears here in verse number six, and he speaks to the responsibilities of both teachers and the receivers within the church. And I want you to notice the responsibilities of the, of the teacher. This is where I preached myself for a moment, Okay. The word taught and teacher, they both come from the same word, which is where we get the word catechism. Now, if you have a Catholic background, then that word is probably very familiar to you. Okay? It is not a bad word, Baptists. Okay? Catechism is a great concept. It is just a method for teaching, teaching doctrine, teaching the fundamentals of the faith, teaching, teaching the word of God. Okay? Now, we may do it in a little different way. The methodology may look a little different. But, but here's the truth that he's getting at. 
Chiefly, the teacher's responsibility is to proclaim and teach and clearly declare the word of God. That's our responsibility. So when we gather here each week, it's not for you to come in here and hear, you know, five cool points that Mike came up this last week with, you know, how to have financial success or whatever. How to have a happy marriage. Now we'll find truths like that through God's word. But my responsibility, any of our pastor's responsibility, anytime we stand before you, even in, in, in other settings, is to clearly explain, exegete, we call it, the word of God. That's our responsibility. And then he focuses on the responsibility of the receiver. He says, share all good things with the one who teaches. And so Paul urges the believers to support teachers materially. That would include food, that would include money, whatever good things are appropriate to the teacher's welfare. And specifically, that has changed some through time, and our culture looks very different today. Although I will say, when I lived in East Texas, it was not uncommon to come into my office on any given day of the week and find a bag of produce there. Now, it still happens today. Some of you some of you show up on my doorstep with like okra and stuff. That's amazing. That, that's awesome. In this particular case, that, that, would, that would be more likely what would happen, that kind of thing. I mean, this is like materially uh, in blessing those who lead. Those who... Now, we understand this. There's a lot of discussion today, been a lot of debate through church history about the distinction between clergy and laity, right? Okay, we're all to be ministers. Make no mistake about it. I am not your hired gun, Okay. I'm not your hired evangelist. I'm not your hired gun. Okay, but I do believe, we do believe, that God uniquely sets aside and calls particular individuals to what we would consider vocational ministry. And by the grace of God, I have had the joy and the privilege and the incredible responsibility of doing that for my entire adult life, really. It's been immersed in the local church for the last 35 years. That's how I've paid the bills. That's how I've been able to feed my family. That's all of that. And I'll just pause here and say this. Some of the most unsung, unrecognized heroes in the world today are bivocational pastors. Do you realize that in our association alone of 63 churches, many, if not most of them, are bivocational, meaning that they have to, uh, to give up to 40 plus hours a week earning a living to keep food on their table while at the same time also trying to pastor a church. And I recognize many or most of those churches are smaller churches, and, and, but at the same time, th that is an incredible burden. It's an incredible burden. And so really what Paul is getting at here, his main concern really is not money. Paul's burden was for the furtherance of the gospel, and he knew that, that the God-ordained means for accomplishing that was the steady proclamation of the word of God by faithful teachers. But these teachers would be limited if they couldn't take care of their daily necessities. And so by caring for the needs, practical needs of the teacher, the church says, we want the, the word of God to be taught faithfully and effectively, so we will help support you. Care for those who teach, not out of obligation, not out of tradition, but because you love the word of God and want to see it spread to the ends of the earth. So there's generous sharing. Number four, personal holiness. And we're going to wind it down. I remind you that as we said last week, holiness is a harvest. Growing in Christ, like that's a harvest. And the seeds are mainly thoughts and deeds. 
That's why there's this clear distinction here between sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. Remember we said we have to be good gardeners. You've got to make sure that you're cultivating the soil and you're eradicating the weeds and anything that would draw valuable nutrients from, from the, the vine and from what you want to actually produce. And you've got to, uh, you've got to make sure that you're fertilizing and, and, and all of those things. John Stott, again, he, he summarizes it powerfully. He says, each time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company with insidious in, whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist. Every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying. Every time we read pornographic literature. Every time we take a risk that strains our self-control. We are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. To the flesh. And some... For a variety of reasons, choose to sow to the flesh every day and yet wonder why they are not reaping a harvest of spiritual blessing. So Paul adds a warning. And it's really clear. And it's probably familiar to you. God is not mocked. There's a law of sowing and reaping. It's the law of the harvest. So Paul says... Regardless of who you are, regardless of how amazing you may think you are, regardless of your pedigree, regardless of your social standing, regardless of who you are, you reap what you sow. If you are sowing to the flesh, you will reap destruction. Your destiny will be according to your works, it says in 2 Corinthians 11. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap that of the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life, as it says here in verse 8. So choose your field wisely. Sow thoughts and deeds in the Spirit. The books you read, the people you're with, the things you do for entertainment, the thoughts you possess are acts of sowing. Are they of the flesh or of the Spirit? And that all relates to biblical community. It goes back to everything we've talked about so far. Because you cannot possibly practice gentle restoration if you are not sowing to the Spirit. You cannot effectively uh, bear one another's burdens if you're not doing life in the Spirit. You will not be generous if you're not living life in the Spirit and sowing to the Spirit. And then finally, I want you to notice, number five, faithful service. Know this, compassionate ministry can make you weary. Contending for the gospel can make you exhausted. And every Christian can become discouraged in serving. So Paul says, keep sowing. Keep sowing. When you think you can't, keep sowing. Continue loving one another. Keep resisting strife and contention. Keep rejecting false teachers. Keep bearing one another's burdens. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep doing good and watch God work. There's a harvest out there. There's a harvest out there. Remember that even though the phrase at the proper time may be appropriately applied to this life, we should also note the future time. The larger application is that we will reap reward for faithfulness to God in what we would call the eschatological future. Keep serving faithfully. And I can tell you over 30-some years of ministry, there have been plenty of days when I wanted to throw in the towel. I'm done. I'm done. 
Even times of, 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 of just where I'm just on my face before God. God, I, I, I'm pretty much willing to do anything else right now. If there's a way that I could do anything. You, you know the conclusion that I kept coming back to as I listened to God's voice through his word and by his spirit? Just keep on preaching. Keep on. I never told you the days were going to be easy. I never said every day was going to be fun and everything was going to be an amazing experience. Just keep on going. Keep going. And finally, Paul consider, he gives a specific instruction. I want you to notice this. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Notice the universal and the particular challenge. Generally, we must love our neighbor as ourselves. We should be sensitive to the needs in our community. We look for ways to show mercy to all, to to those around the world who have needs. But I want you to notice here specifically, Paul says, that we're to pay careful attention to those in the household of faith. That's the family. That's the body. Pay special attention to the ways that you can do good to those within the church. Now, we don't want to become inward-focused navel-gazers, as we say. Okay? Every church is to be outward-focused in the sense of we're, we're here to, to, to glorify God and make much of Jesus and, and reach the world. But in this particular case, Paul is saying, pay, pay close attention. That may mean restoring a broken brother or sister in Christ. That may mean bearing a particular burden. That may mean supporting your leaders in a particular way or helping with transportation or paying a bill for someone who lost his or her job or tutoring that struggling kid or babysitting for parents who desperately need a date night. Look for ways to bless those within the household of faith. And so I would say finally this morning, FBCVA, and I realize that may not include all of you, but if you're a part of this faith family, let us be a spirit-led people marked by gentle restoration and humble burden-bearing and generous sharing and personal holiness and faithful service. This is life in the spirit lived out in the church. This is how it works. And remember, Jesus restored us from our broken relationship with Almighty God. He continues to restore our souls. He carried our greatest burden, the crushing weight of our sin. He died in our place, removing the penalty of sin that was upon us so that there is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. He constantly sowed in the Spirit, living a life of perfect righteousness and reaped eternal glory. Jesus gives us the example He gives us the spirit to live out these responsibilities. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. I thank you that as we continue to make our way through this inspired letter, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul, to a group of believers. I thank you for the truth that we have learned, the doctrine that we have learned, that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, that we are saved. All of that on the authority of your word alone. Lord, I thank you for the testimony that the Apostle Paul, thousands of years ago, could share in his journey from legalism to grace 
God, I thank you for how incredibly practical our teaching is today. This is how we live out life in the Spirit within the body of Christ. If there's anyone here today that has never trusted you as Savior and Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit and the power of your word to be drawn to you, could take that step of faith whereby they acknowledge, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't save myself. So in faith, I turn from my sin to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling right now to sow seeds to the Spirit. Lord, we are so prone to wander, prone to sow to the flesh, to gratify the flesh, to glorify ourselves, to justify ourselves. God, I pray that you would help us to instead sow to the Spirit live in such a way that we honor and glorify you in everything that we say and do. God, we thank you today for your faithfulness, your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.